Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. We are, we return after a long hiatus back to another episode of Two Developers Down Under. It's good to be back here again with my partner in crime, the lovely literate Kai Koenig. How are you doing today, Kai? I'm doing very well, Mark. Good morning, everyone. So it's been a it's been a little while since we uh we did a podcast, but uh, yeah, we're back. A, a lot of things kept us busy, as it appears. I think we did our last recording at some point in April or something. April. <laughs> yeah, and then I was away on vacation for most of May, basically, and then yeah, other things. Well. You were you went on leave for a while, basically. Yep. You went away, and then things led to another, basically, and nothing happened. So we were being lazy. That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. That's it's, okay. It's, it's not that we get paid for this. So, you know, like... <laughs> it's our podcast. We can do what we like. Exactly. So that's good. So um, getting back to our, our roots of our podcast, what's the uh, stuff you've found that's been going on today? Um, I've got two or three interesting things, actually. One is yep. in 1944, the Junkers JU-287 did its first flight. Very, you know famous plane um another thing aviation related which has a bit of a sad element unfortunately as well um remember like in the early 1900s people tried to cross oceans with planes for the first time oh yeah so there was one guy in hawaii basically um the the guy who owned the dole um uh farms basically over there and he started the dole air race and he basically put out a lot of money um, for an air race between oakland california and honolulu and that was that started today in 1927 actually the sad part of it is um six out of the eight participant plane participating planes didn't make it to hawaii and just pretty much disappeared most of them basically never found again Oh, great. And one um, day which is related to a person, um, today is actually the... Oh, let me come up with the... Oh, this is good. Great radio here. Go on. <laughs> I'm just trying to calculate how many years ago it is. I think it's 35, actually. Because in 1977, after, you know, 35 years ago, Elvis Presley died. Right. So that is 35 years ago, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I'm pretty convinced. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Glad you saw that. What have I got? Uh, today is the 50th birthday of Steve Carell, the uh, relatively famous comedian. Um, it's the 58th anniversary of Sports Illustrated being first published. What is Sports Illustrated? It's a magazine. You've never heard of the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition? No. But apparently you have, Mark. That's fine. That's a fairly famous sports publication. See, um, anyway. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> um, the only other one I could find was it's the birth of uh, Kathy Lee Gifford, the TV the TV star and talkback producer. Okay. Yeah, it's today is a bit of a quiet day apparently. Yeah, lots of birthdays. I've seen lots of birthdays from people. I have no idea who they are. Yeah, lots of. I mean, and I. I'm just looking at my, you know, source of things of today, basically, which I'm not telling you what it is, obviously. There are a whole bunch of birthdays, but a lot of them are like, you know, German male tennis player. And 
I have never heard that name, actually. Or a Paraguayan footballer. It's like, yeah, that's fine. But, you know, nothing too excited. exciting. That sounds good. Okay, well, what do we want to talk about today? I've got a few things down on the notes. What do you, uh, what do you want to start with? Um, let's just go through our list, I guess. And, um, yeah, we'll just go along as we go until we run out of time, basically. I think the first thing on our list is actually a point that is just called Ruby and in parentheses (laughs) is Mark. So I have the feeling you want to say something about Ruby. Okay, yes. So for the past, oh boy, for the past month or so, I've been programming primarily in Ruby, um, doing some stuff for work, which has been really interesting, actually. I've been actually really enjoying it. Um, To give a little backstory, we sort of... We started looking at other languages, um, primarily around sort of uh, higher ability in CF and, and some issues we were having there and, and a few other bits and pieces and uh, decided we wanted to look for a language that had at least 1% penetration mm-hmm. um, in terms of, in terms of you know, so the, the ecosystem out there are software developers. And we had a look at a bunch of different options. We had a look at Ruby. We ended up breaking it down to Ruby, Python, uh, possibly Node.js. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up picking Ruby and specifically actually JRuby so Ruby on Java which um, we felt was going to be really quite powerful for us because we've got the Java background to us and that enables us to get access to the whole Java ecosystem and the Ruby ecosystem which is pretty cool and uh, sort of been working with that for the past month uh, the JRuby uh, what do I want to say there's a JRuby preview 2 that we've been working with which has been really good um, for, for Ruby one. 9.3 compatibility and that's been that's been really nice um but yeah it's been it's been really interesting primarily i mean while i say i've been working on ruby most people tend to go oh he's working on rails which is not actually the case um the 95 percent of the code i've been writing has all been it's all back-end processes so it's all very much you know data processing and, and all sorts of fun stuff that way and it's got a very light um web service front end but that's really it. Like it's very, very simple. So, basically, writing all this Ruby code to do all this data processing with uh, a very light sort of REST web service that, <coughs> excuse me, that CF's going to hook into, okay. uh, and CF does hook into now actually. Um, it ends up being actually fun. I've got CF calling a REST web service to populate like solar data and all sorts of other fun stuff. Um, but yeah, I've really been enjoying working with Ruby. Um, in the past, I've worked, obviously, I've worked with CF. I've worked with, uh, I've done some work with Groovy, which I enjoyed as well. Um, but uh, working with Ruby's been really, really, uh, uh, what's the word I want to use? I almost want to say, um, looking for the word I've got on the tip of my tongue. It's been very refreshing. That's the word I'm looking for. Really, really refreshing. It's, refreshing um, or liberating? Yeah, I think I think refreshing, maybe something like that. But it's just um, I've I've used this this metaphor amongst friends, and um, I still think it's rather apt. Which is walking into Ruby is like walking into a really great party halfway through. Basically, you know, it's it's you're kind of sad that you missed the beginning part of the party. Mm-hmm. You didn't get to sort of ride that rail all the way up, but now that you're here, all you got to do is drink and have a really good time because everyone's done all that hard work for you. Ruby's really kind of like that. There's so many Ruby programmers; it's insane. So the ecosystem is ridiculous. It is yeah. absolutely ridiculous. Um, if you're looking for a tool to do pretty much whatever it is you need to do, it exists. Now, admittedly, sometimes the documentation is not so great. I'll put that out there, but um, 
once you sort of get into the ecosystem and start mucking around in it, it's just, it's, it's really crazy. It, unfortunately, yeah, it totally blows CF out the water in terms of the ecosystem. There's no question about it. It's just huge. Well, I mean, um, to be fair, I, you know, when you look at a lot of languages, you will find that a lot of languages yeah. blow CF out of the water with eco, in, when it comes to ecosystem, right? I mean, the ecosystem of Confusion is okay, but it yeah. is tiny compared to, to the majority of languages it, it out is. there. Yeah. And actually, no, I'll be honest, I didn't realize that, you know, I kind of had my head down inside CF. And this kind of ties into stuff we talked about before, where, you know, what happens if CF mal died tomorrow and stuff. Um, and, and, yeah, Ruby's, I think, a really interesting choice. Now, I haven't got very far into Rails, and obviously Rails has that whole um, issue with, you know, DHH and how he goes on about rants. He's the guy, one of the lead programmers with uh, Ruby, and they've got that sort of stigma attached to them not being very nice people. Um, the people, all, all the people I've met through the Ruby community here in Australia have been fantastic. They've been really lovely people, I must admit. Um, I've been really enjoying interacting with them, so I'm going to make the assumption that he's the uh, exception rather than the rule. Um, but uh, but uh, no, I. I I personally also really enjoy Ruby. Ruby is incredibly dynamic. Ruby is the sort of language that um, has some really insane metaprogramming stuff that enables you to twist and turn the language to pretty much however you want it. Um, this means that with Ruby, you really can shoot yourself in the foot quite easily. Mm. Not hard at all. Um, there's definitely places where you can sort of overwrite stuff or change the way things work. Because uh, you can pretty much change any class that's open. You know, any class that, that exists, you can change it, you can add to it, you can switch out methods, you can do stuff to instances on the right, on the fly, um, you can do stuff to the classes on the fly. It's got a, it's what has what it's called open class, which basically means you can open up any class in your code and just write stuff to it. Um, it's insanely dynamic in terms of what you can do. So this means that it's incredibly powerful, but it also means yeah, you've got enough rope to hang yourself with. For me personally, that's great. Um, I love a language like that because it treats me like I'm not an idiot. You know, it basically says here, you're not stupid, go forth. Um, but that also means, yeah, for some people that's going to be like, oh God, you know, don't, you know, anything could happen and that means that the, the world could shift under my feet quite easily and I don't like that and what I do, which is fair enough. I've got no problem with that. Um, but for me personally, that really suits my programming style. I like metaprogramming. I like being able to change things on the fly. I like having the flexibility to do pretty much whatever I want with it. Um, and I found that to be really powerful. I really, really am enjoying it. It's actually been a very interesting experience. I never really thought about Ruby and going, yeah, that's cool. Um, I thought about that with Groovy, and I can see a lot of CFMLers we've been seeing talking about that stuff. Um, there's a recent series of blog posts uh, compiled, damn it, I want to say. Yep, um, by I think it's Joe's. I think Scott Strose is in there. Todd Sharp is in there. I'm probably missing some people. I'm just looking for the link. They've been talking about their Groovy experiences. I like Groovy. I've looked at Groovy before. This is me just talking on and on. Feel free to interrupt me. <laughs> that is perfectly fine. Um, I know what, what series of blog posts you probably mean. You mean um, Joe Reinhardt's series yeah, there's, recent there's... series of blog posts talking about Groovy and Grails and you know how, yeah. how he's using it. Which, of course, doesn't want to start up. But I've seen that I think there's a few people committing to it. Um, no, it doesn't want to start up for me, but I'll put a link in the, in the notes. It's, um, yeah, it's quite, it's quite interesting. I mean, he had, Joe had a bike accident the other week, right? I mean, that's... Fortunately so. Yeah, that's how, I think, how part of that whole, um, you know, burst of blog posts basically 
came from, pretty much, because he's sort of tied to his house now for a while, and he's got time to, you know, write stuff and do stuff. Um, I'm just looking at the link as well. It does open for me, actually. Uh, here we go. The, it's compiledammit.com slash grails hyphen four hyphen cfml hyphen devs. Um, but we'll put the link into the node anyway. And it's basically a series called Grails for CFML Developers, which is really, really um, interesting to use, uh, in, interesting to read. It's basically compiled of a few basic blog posts and basic chapters. And he's now getting into working with models and data, basically. Yeah, I'm seeing uh, Joe, Mark Escher, Todd Sharp, Scott Strohs. Uh, am I seeing anyone else? No, not, I think that's it. So it seems to be a group of them. I assume they work together. Yeah, could well be. So, like I said, that's a quite interesting read if you, you know, if you're a Confusion or any type of CML, CFML server developer, and you want to learn about Groovy and Grails quickly. Have a look at that because that gives you like a quick, you know, breakdown of what it is, how it works, and what the idea behind the the technology is. And I have to say, I like I like Groovy as a language quite a lot. And I remember we had that discussion before, right? The Groovy community doesn't seem to be as vibrant down here yeah. as the Rails or the Ruby community in general is, basically. But you know, it's nevertheless a very very interesting technology because it takes a lot of the grunt work that Java yeah. forces you to do away and gives you a more, you know, it really a nicer style a nice to write Java, really. That's what it is. Yeah, it my does build a nice layer on top, of, yeah. on top of Java. I think it does a really good job. I'm actually, I was always kind of surprised it didn't take off more than it has. Um, it's really kind of, actually it's really kind of down there. I'm just checking a TOB index again. I know that's not the best, um, but it's, it's below bottom 50. Um, even oh, actually, where's closure? Yeah, closure's down there too. But, well, I mean, um, closure doesn't surprise me, right? Because it's a very, very niche. It's very niche. Use but Statlas up above around forty, which I found actually kind of interesting. Okay, it's it's funny how it goes with languages, right? A lot of it is hype in general. So you know, some people do some cool start off with a certain language, and all of a sudden, it's like the thing yeah, to do, basically. Cool. And it's not necessarily founded on, you know, like, actual proper reasoning why to use a language. You know, it's yeah. like not every hammer fits to the problem you want to solve with it at the end of the day. Yeah, and just and just so people are aware, too, the way we um, we ended up trying to decide that something had sort of 1% penetration was a combination of we looked at the TOB index um, and saw what that, that sort of number was there. And we, we looked at GitHub, uh, had a look at what the top projects were there, um, sort of lot, the top number of languages being used there. Um, Ruby's like way up there, which is great. And we also had a look at things like Stack Overflow. Yeah, I was going to say that actually. That would have been my next choice as well. Stack Overflow. And then yeah. also went on Freenode to see how many people were in the chat rooms for those communities. Ah, okay. Which, uh, which, which also made a big difference. I can't remember the numbers off my top of my head, but uh, I normally sit on a bunch of them as well. Um, and sort of ended up, that's sort of how we ended up with our sort of top three. Um, and that's sort of where the decision we made. Yeah, so it's been it's been fun. Um, I mean, that sort of sort of goes on to one thing that that um, we've sort of been looking at too in terms of the way I architect or where we architect our applications or the way I'm building applications at the moment. Um, if anyone's read 12factor.net, um, it's a 
if or if anyone actually went to Elliot's friends presentation at CF Objective where he talked about um, building enterprise applications. Both go really well hand in hand. Twelvefactor.net is a site I found a little while ago that basically discusses what they call they call a twelve factor app. Um, it, it's really sort of this open document about how to build highly available, highly scalable applications. Um, about breaking out, you know, how to track you know, your code base, how to dis how to organize your dependencies, configuration, uh, backing services, doing a build to release. Um, I'm just going down all the points. Um, how to have stateless processes, uh, concurrency models, uh, disposability and, and dev prod parity and logging and administration and all that sort of stuff. And it's a really interesting read. Um, and it also makes you come back to the nice thing about working with another language, like say Ruby, or it doesn't really matter what it was, that's not tied to a whole web server, means you really can build these very small uh, standalone services that are very easily scalable and gives you really nice high availability as well. So we've now got this really simple single component. We can stick it behind a load balancer if need be. We can stretch it out, bring it down if it starts. That particular part gets a lot of load, mm. um, which is actually quite tricky with CF because it's... It, it, because of its history and because of the way it is and there's a lot of apps that are built this way and it's, there's nothing necessarily wrong with it in terms of some of these smaller apps but as you get to try and scale out it can make things difficult because it's really monolithic it does everything yeah. you know, you've you've got all your scheduled tasks in there, the same thing as your stuff that does your web services and your, your web-facing data. And that's a little bit scary to me now the more I'm doing stuff because, you know, I've got a scheduled task that could take down my web-facing stuff. That's a bit crazy. That shouldn't really happen. If a scheduled task fall over, it shouldn't matter to the web-facing side of things. You know, um, if I want to update, you know, scheduled task happening in the background, I need to restart my entire app. That seems a bit nuts. Um, I mean, you can you can still work around that by, for example, saying you know you've got one or multiple instances just running scheduled yeah. tasks and other instances of your app, you know, on a monolithic True. server like CF, uh, ColdFusion or, or Rylo or something, you know, True. just running the web-facing stuff. But you are creating sort of, a, or you you're being forced into a um, into a setup that is not naturally the preferred setup that way, obviously. Yeah, and and. Probably less so with Rilo than it is with Adobe's one. There's a lot of overhead with it because you've got a lot of stuff you don't need. Um, Rilo's footprint's a little smaller, which is which is good. And obviously, you've got licensing issues around Adobe CF, which becomes a bit of a problem. Um, you know, sort of if you need to scale up to five servers, you don't want to be on the phone call to Adobe saying, "Hey, uh, I need more licenses, and I need them right now. I've got 100 million people hitting my site," um, which makes things tough. It makes things really tough. Oh, it does. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll post a link to that as well, but. Um, it's a it's a really interesting read in terms of how to set up applications. Um, yeah, and we started looking also at things like Heroku, which is really interesting, and, and other PaaS providers as well, um, which is obviously a lot easier to do when you start just writing in a, a basic language like either Java or Groovy or Ruby or whatever. Um, Heroku recently was purchased by some other large company, weren't they? Was it? Or not? Am I getting that wrong? One of mm. those platform as a service offerings... Was, There's a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, was purchased by um, by Salesforce. Does that ring a bell? It's not ringing a bell, but I may have just missed it. Um, just having a look at their Salesforce. I think yeah, I think you might be right. I think Salesforce owns Heroku. And that happened right. not too long ago, actually. Interesting. Um, 
just checking out their blog actually to yeah, see. Yeah, the the agreement was signed actually uh, in December two thousand ten, so it's quite a oh, while that's, ago. That's a while ago. That's but, a long while ago. <laughs> but the um, but the I think it came in effect at some point last year, so not that long ago. Okay. No, I'm I'm um we're not we we started going down Heroku stuff, but we actually haven't had, um gone too deep into it just because of time constraints, but. I must admit it's very compelling. Uh, it took a little while for me to wrap my head around what it was actually doing. Um, it was sort of very much in the mindset of I need an instance, which is a machine that does some things. Um, but it goes so much lower than that in that it's really just about processes and you don't have to worry about the underlying infrastructure. It's really I have a web process and that's just... You know, and it that runs somewhere and you don't really yeah, care about where. Don't really uh, care. Yeah. And I need two of them or three of them or seven of them. I can scale it up. I can scale it down. I need a background processing, maybe it fires off something that, that goes and processes a queue, does some background async processing, you know, something like that, or it goes off, does one-off tasks, things like that. And again, you know, maybe I need four of them, maybe I need two of them, but I don't need to worry about building up servers and dropping down servers, and that's, that's incredibly powerful. Um, the Heroku is not the cheapest thing in the world, I'll give it that, but in terms of it manages that infrastructure so nicely, which is really, really quite impressive. That's... Um, that's pretty cool, and you can run just about anything on it, from Java to Clojure to Haskell to Ruby to JRuby. It's yeah, it's pretty impressive stuff. Okay, yeah, I wanted to have a look at that a while ago, but I never got wrong to do it. Speaking of processes, I've got actually an interesting question for you. Okay. Um, and I mean, we talked about that privately last week already, briefly, but it has it's related to Node.js, right? So for a new project, I was recently looking into Node.js. Okay. And doing a bit more investigation than I've done in the past, but just you know, trying to get something up and running, like a little app, and playing with it and looking into the implications of using Node.js for that particular project. Yep. And one thing I found, I mean, Node.js, for the people who don't know that, it's basically a very asynchronous, event-driven engine to run processes in. And you code it in JavaScript at the end of the day. Yeah. What I found interesting then, or what caught my eye was... Well, if I, you know, want to run certain things in a synchronous way, for example, I want to run a series of database queries, which have to be executed in a certain order, or where there is a bit of conditional logic involved, like, you know, you run two database queries, and then depending on the result of the second one, you do something else, like run another query or so. Mm. That model is not really that nicely supported in Node.js, right? Because it's all asynchronous. So I was looking around for, you know, basic stuff like database drivers. And there are a lot of projects like um, NStore or there is a Node.js DB website which has database drivers for MySQL and the most common other databases. And that's all fine. But what it comes down to at the end, to me, it seems that you have to basically chain up your queries in a series of callbacks. Yeah. Just sort of the, the power and the, the, what this, you know, the asynchronous nature yeah, is. Yeah, you, you could say it's the power. And, you know, I have no problem with callbacks as such. That makes perfect sense to me from a technical point of view. Mm -hmm. But just from a development point of view, if I, you know, want to do that, that thing, like running seven queries in a, you know, after, one after each other, I yeah. have to create a, basically a callback stack seven levels deep, which is yes. really not nice from a coding point of view, from my point of view. Okay, and yeah. I, I'm just interested how, how people deal with that, basically. Obviously, there are ways around that, right? You could say, well, if you have seven queries that are 
supposed to be executed in a certain order, why don't you put it into a stored procedure? Fair enough. You know, and then yeah. you, you call the stored procedure from your layer on top from Node.js or whatever else you use, basically. Um, because I have actually experience with that asynchronous database calls mm. from developing Air way back then, when, you know, Air was something people generally found interesting to use. Because Adobe Air comes with a SQLite engine, and you can actually build an Air app with SQLite database access, both synchronously and asynchronously. And I had done that, actually. I've built an app which used database calls asynchronously, and it was painful. I just found it seriously painful, basically. I don't think... I don't necessarily think it's a good model to having to do that callback stuff for that particular use case. But, you know, it might just be that I haven't seen the light yet and, you know, like I'm that I'm missing some really, really obvious, important point here. I don't know. I think it's just kind of the way Node.js works. I don't think it's necessarily bad. Um, just It just is sort of, that's, it, that's its thing and that's what it does. Um, so what I mean, how would you build a, a system like that if you had that requirement of running multiple callbacks? You would do the callbacks. You wouldn't try. I think you'd you, have to. You wouldn't. You wouldn't push the you know that more complex database logic into sort procedure, maybe. I don't know. I think you know, and then there's there's also the question of, um, or, or it depends on how your data is modeled too. I mean, obviously there's probably no chairs or RMs as well that could possibly end up solving that problem. I don't know enough about Node.js to say how they do transactions and transaction mm, yeah, management. that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously got to be a solution that way. So I'm, I'm sure it's a problem somebody solved somewhere. I would have thought. Yeah, I but might, I you know, if, if any of our listeners has a good answer to that, I'd love to actually hear from you in um, the comments. Or even if you, yep. if you have a good answer and you want to talk about that answer, you can even, you know, come on our podcast if you like but yeah i mean maybe there's a solution but that was one of the things i stumbled across the other day i thought uh that's kind of odd i'm not quite sure if i like that model or being forced into that model for um for development yeah fair enough i mean the, yeah the whole the whole thing with node is it's you know it's asynchronous it's meant to be you know uh event driven and and very fast for that particular reason so you kind of there's, there's pros and cons you know that's that's just kind of the way it is you know, it's not the same as building a huge process-driven s- string as a stack of, of, you know, of code calls. They go, top of the page, bottom of the page, boom, I've done my whole process. That's sort of not the model I think it sits into. Yeah. And it could possibly just be also just be an application thing. Could be, yeah. All right, let's move on to the to our next topic. Um, it's related to another language, basically, and it's um, about closure. It's not really a big topic in the way that we're going to talk about something in closure. We just want to make a quite interesting announcement. Um, Jean Caulfield, who probably most of our listeners would know, we had him. He was on the last our last episode. Yeah, yeah, he was on the last episode. That's true, actually. And he's, you know, in general, a quite well-known guy in the CFML community. Um, in other web development or technology communities as well. And he's coming to Australia next week. Next week. Is that right? Yeah, next week. Um, 
he's basically in Australia because his wife is a judge at a cat show yep. in Tamworth, New South Wales, where I know we have exactly one listener in Tamworth. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I think he's presenting at the Sydney and Melbourne CFML slash Adobe user groups about yep. CFML and Clojure. Is that right? Do you yeah. have the dates, Mark? Uh, I do. There's in Melbourne. Oh, let me bring them up. I've got uh, one in uh, links on the show notes, obviously, but uh, August 21st, uh, he'll be at the Mad Melbourne Adobe Developers Group. Uh, so that's the Tuesday night. And then in Sydney, uh, August 22nd, he'll be there at, uh, what's the name of the group? The Adobe Platform User Group in Sydney on the 22nd, which is the Wednesday night. So he's going to have a bit of a busy time. Yeah, and the topic of the talk is actually closure and CFML sitting in a tree. Yeah. So that should be interesting for both people who do CFML or closure yep. or both or... Oh, it should be a good evening. I know here locally, I believe there's a few of the uh, closure guys coming down uh, from the closure meetup. They'll be coming down to the CFML group. So it should be a good, interesting group of people to have some uh, very, very interesting conversations that evening. I expect it'll be a lot of fun. And uh, I've been watching it. quite a few people come out of the woodwork. Of the uh, In terms of confusion developers who all of a sudden yep. show up? Yeah, I've seen that as well on the mailing list. <laughs> yep. Um, how large is the closure community in Melbourne? Um, I don't know if it's that big. The meetup I was at a few weeks ago had maybe 15, 20 people. That's um, quite good. Which is not bad. Yeah. And it was a really nice group of people, actually. I was really, I've only been to one meetup, actually. I know the guy that runs it, strangely enough. I went to university with him. But um, yeah, really, really nice group of people. It's been really lovely. Um, it was really nice walking in there. It's it's kind of fun walking into that community because it, it almost feels sort of CFML-ish because there's nobody else doing it. <laughs> so it's kind of like, well, it's, no, I, uh, CFML is such a small community. And so, you know, it, it has that feel to it. So when you show up at a CFML talk, it's like, you know, it, you sort of have this whole, everyone's very inclusive. Everyone's very, you know, what are you doing? You know, everyone sort of yeah. helps each other out. And, and that's that's really nice. And, and sort of it's that, unfortunately, it's sort of that minority sort of opinion. You know, it's like, We'll, we'll help each other out because there's, there's not that many of us doing this stuff and you know we want to grow and all that sort of great stuff and and so everyone was sort of that way and it was almost even more so because a lot of the people there were there to sort of just learn you know they're just like I'm not really doing anything with it but it sounds really interesting I want to do some more stuff with it and you know I'm sort of in that boat as well and so there was some really good conversations even with just sort of 15 of us and just you know sort of a bit of show and tell and what are you doing what are you doing so it was really cool anyway I digress but um yeah, it should be a really good meetup. I think it's going to be quite a packed room with Sean coming down. Cool. That sounds good. I, I was actually trying to sort something out to be in Australia for that week, but it didn't quite work out, actually. I would have loved to be either in Sydney or Melbourne. Oh, Catch sad. up with him. That's sad. It would have been good for you to come down. Yeah, I guess so. But, you know, yeah. Too late now. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, alrighty, so moving on, um, that was the first announcement. The other, what what else happened in the CFML community over the last few, you know, weeks months. and months actually? Well, CFML, think, Cold Fusion 10 came out. <laughs> well, that's one one obvious thing, right? Cold Fusion 10 was released. Actually, also, Rylo released an alpha and now a beta version of Rylo 4. Yes, that's true as well. So that's out there, which is quite interesting. You know, it basically creates a bit of competition among the CFML engines again, which I think is a very good thing in general. I agree with that. Um, 
also, like it, uh, the command. Have you seen the uh, command line stuff coming out of Rilo Four? Yep, I have. That's quite I interesting. That, that's quite interesting. I'm I'm excited about that. Um, especially having now worked with Ruby and having all the command line tools available in that. Uh, if if we could get packaging, some sort of packaging and command line tooling around CFML, I think that would be really powerful stuff. Um, it's you know suddenly you know you can start running. Ant tasks, you know, you could start writing deployment scripts in CFML and um, packaging scripts in CFML and integration with your running applications in CFML. Like, it's got some really interesting possibilities there. Yeah, I think CFML as a platform needs a modular approach. You know, that monolithic approach you mentioned earlier before, that doesn't really work that well anymore in 2012 and, you know, and beyond. You have to be, you have to be small, you have to be set up in a way that you can run individual services, that you can deploy those individual services without having to deploy like a 400 megabyte server. Yeah. That's really what it is. And, you know, I think everyone who's working on a CFML engine basically has to, in the midterm, figure out a solution for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that completely. Um, The other interesting thing is I had a fun experience with um, building Rilo 4 or trying to yeah, build Rilo 4. Yeah, you tried to compile it. Yeah, I thought, you know, I, I mean, I obviously downloaded the alpha and the beta and played with it and have got it running, and that's easy That's easy enough to do, basically. But I thought, you know what, I'll just try to to, to compile it from the, from the source. And um, initially I thought that worked, what yeah. I did, but it didn't quite work. I ended up just getting one certain module and not the whole Rilo server basically up and running. Yep. And the problem really is the there are no really well-written compile documentations for the Rilo 4 branch at this stage. So what I've yep. basically done is I cloned the repository as you do and I switched over to the Rilo 4 branch to the current one in development and the the compile and build instructions in there do not match the reality. So I tried my, a few things myself, basically. And one thing I figured out, for example, is that for Rilo 4, you actually have to build it with Java 6 and not with Java 5 or 1.5 as earlier builds of Rilo 3 before, which, you know, using Java 5 is quite a bit of a weird thing anyway, and it took me quite a while to get that set up properly on my Mac. That's that's another story, basically. But, so, I figured out I have to use Java 6, and that's fine, but the individual ARNT builds that I found in the code base didn't really lead to a complete server at all. So I pinged um, Gerd and Mark and and um, Micah an email said, "How would I even approach that? How, I mean, how do you build? Yep. How do you build the engine, basically?" And um, yeah, Mark came back to me and said, "Oh, he's going to have a look for his build scripts he's using. So there is something which is just not in the branch yet. Ew. And there's also like a different internal versus external build process, basically. And one approach is apparently to set up a bunch of Eclipse projects and then compile it from there, which I'm really not keen on doing. Yeah. So what Mark then pointed me to, and that's actually a, a really interesting looking project and I think a good recommendation for anyone who wants to give that a try. There is a project called Rilo-Build on GitHub. Oh, yeah. And it's done by... Um, Denny, I don't know what his last name is, actually. His username is Den, Den Uno, 
on yes, GitHub. Yes, it. And I'm basically, um, I'll put the link into the show notes. And that's like a build script that is supposedly able to build Rilo to any um, commit, pretty much, whatever you want. Or build a current branch or build an old version, an old tag or whatever you want. I haven't tried that yet. But that looks very, very good. And Mark in his email basically said, yeah, they, they are planning to integrate that into Rilo as a building, uh, as a build solution. So I hope that's going to happen. I hope that's going to work. And hopefully in my in our next recording, I can um, you know mention that the build was successful using this project. <laughs> cool. I mean, not that, you know, not that it is like an essential thing to build it yourself. I just really want to because I can and want to give it a try. Yeah, now that looks interesting. I'm just having a quick peek through it now. Yeah, whoever wrote this put a fair bunch of work into it. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see okay. how that goes, basically. Yeah, I mean, if. Yeah, I think people need to be able to really easily compile Rilo to sort of spread that, spread that load out amongst you know external committers. Yeah, the, the reality is obviously when you look at you know traditionally what ColdFusion or CFML developers do, they are not big into open source, right? Traditionally. Yeah. And people don't care that much about open source in this community. So I think most users of even Rilo, even though it's open source, will just download a binary and install it on their server and you know use it because it's free, realistically. That's what I realistically think. There are not that many people who do it, who use Rilo for the spirit of being an open source project, right? So that point of compiling Rilo yourself is probably not as important in the CFML community as a similar thing would be in another community, which is really open source minded, or which would be really open source minded, if that makes sense. It is still, and it would be still a very nice thing to do that easily, but you know, I'm quite confident that with that um, Rilo build script, I hopefully get it sorted. Cool. Cool. Um, so we are already talking nearly forty minutes. Should we talk about a few events quickly and then wrap it up? Sounds good. So um, first one, or the closest one in time, I'm going to go to Microsoft Tech at New Zealand in early September. Yeah, the main reason I want to go there is because um, I go, I do a lot of mobile stuff nowadays. Yeah. And um, I want to have a look at what is involved with developing mobile apps for Windows Phone 8 and Windows Phone 7, like using Metro and using that whole type of web-based or web technology-based app development for Microsoft technology. Yep. Um, and the other thing that interests me for another reason is um, their cloud stuff. Uh, okay. Windows Azure. Um, because I think that has some interesting potential for a few things I'm doing, basically. And um, I mean, I'm going there on a press ticket, so I don't have to pay for my ticket, luckily, basically. Um, that is quite convenient, but it gives me an op- uh, an opportunity to have a look around what they are doing and um, also, you know, maybe get a few ideas for articles and tutorials and stuff like that in the future. Yeah, that should be good. Yeah. What's the next one after that? 
next one after that, I think we'll both be at Strange Loop. Yoo-hoo! That's which is going to be really exciting. Yep. Um, for those that don't know, Strange Loop. Strange Loop is a emerging. Let me actually read it. I'll read it. Uh, actually, there's better better section on the about. Strange Loop is a multidisciplinary conference that aims to bring together developers and thinkers building tomorrow's technologies in fields such as emerging languages, alternative databases, concurrency, distributed systems, mobile development, and the web. Um, it's pretty. It's pretty cutting edge stuff. Um, and they've got some some really sort of high end people coming to talk. Um, we've got people coming to talk from Wolfram Alpha. Brandon Eich is going to be there, the guy who wrote JavaScript and CTO of Mozilla. Um, a bunch of people from Google are coming. Um, people talking about all sorts of really interesting stuff. It's going to be really cool. In fact, there's so many sessions that I'm like, oh, I wish I could go to four sessions at this one. It's it's going to be impressive. The guy that wrote Closure, he's going to be there. Yeah. Um, uh, what's his name? There's a guy that wrote the Light Table IDE, or he's working on the Light Table IDE. If anyone's seen that, um, he's going to be there. It's really, really cool. Yeah, I think I'm so pretty- too. That should be a really, really interesting event. And there are quite a few people. You know, we talked quite a few people into going actually. <laughs> yeah, people. So there's Jason from New Zealand who's going over. There's Justin. Good. McLean coming over. Jason? Yeah. I don't know Jason. Uh, Jason, uh, a friend of mine from Hamilton. Okay, don't know. Okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, there will be quite a few, you know, don't enough folks, I think. Yeah, no, it should be should be really good. I'm quite excited. Um, I think we're both doing the same uh, pre-conference sessions as well. Um, yeah, I've booked the, the machine learning. Yep, me too. And I can't remember what the other one was. Which Are you other? doing the Hadoop one as well? Yes, I do, actually. Yeah, correct. I do Hadoop and machine learning, yeah. Yeah, we're both doing the same one. But there's some really interesting, like, they've got emerging languages camps and stuff. It's uh, it's pretty nifty. I'm pretty excited. So Yeah, me too. My, my third time in the US this year. <laughs> That's not That's a flight I love. Probably, yeah, it's my third time too, I think. Oh, my fourth time, actually. Oh, you beat me. There you go. Yeah. So have you be... have you topped up your um your MiFi yet? No, I'll do it when I land. Oh, okay, fair enough. Don't think I can do it from here. Oh, actually, that's a really interesting question. The yeah, I tried that actually. I've got the Virgin MiFi. You've you've got a Sprint, don't you? Um, you ask a good question. I think it is Sprint. Yeah, I've got a Virgin one, and my problem is the Virgin website doesn't let me register my credit card because it's not a US credit card. <laughs> Yeah, I actually so, found I could use the uh, address from my hotel and it worked fine. Uh, okay. Well, maybe I should give that a try. Like, just put a fake address in, basically. Yeah, because um, I end up, whenever I go back, it's sort of been three or six months and they end up cancelling my, my MiFi card. So I end up having to call the, the actual center. Oh, really? I always okay. have a really interesting conversation with, the, with whoever I've got on the phone. And they're like, I don't know if this is going to work because you're from Australia. I'm like, I oh, just use that hotel address. Just use it. Don't worry about it. And they're like, is that going to work? I'm like, yeah, it does all the time. And it goes through and they go, wow, I didn't know that worked. Oh, sweet. Yeah, what I usually usually do is normally I buy another, you know, prepay voucher in a supermarket or a Radio Shack or something like that before yeah, I leave. Yeah. But I forgot to do that when I was over there the last time. So I either I need to find a That's volunteer um, who actually buys me one that I can put it in or I have to actually uh, go somewhere. Well, can you get one sent? Can you buy one online? Oh, you, oh, obviously, that's the issue. Yeah, that is the issue. I can't really buy it online on the Virgin side. So uh, I'll have a look. I mean, I know actually a few people 
in the US who have done that for me in the past. So my, yeah. And then I pay them back via PayPal or something like that. So I'll, yeah, I'll dig around a little bit. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. And then the last one, or the, you know, furthest away is obviously our own conference. See of Objective ANZ in November. Yeah, that should be lots of fun. So, um, Obviously, CF Objective ANZ is back on again this year. Um, early bird. Actually, when does early bird end? Early bird finishes of September. September. So you still got a month. Um, but yeah, a um, bit different this year in Rilo's Platinum Sponsor, which should be good. So they're uh, going to be showing off a lot of the Rilo 4 stuff we were talking about earlier, which is going to be great. They've got their, their keynote showing off some of the really interesting stuff they've got going on in Rilo 4. And uh, we've got a usual slew of really interesting sessions as well. Are there any particular sessions you, uh, you're you excited by? Um, there are a few quite interesting new speakers I found. You know, we've got like a combination of people who have presented multiple times at CF Objective yep. in the past, but we've got a bunch of new speakers yeah, who true. submitted quite interesting topics, actually, I think. Um so, for example, we've got finally a session on CF Builder, which we didn't have last year, if I remember correctly. Oh, oh yep. And that's done by Chris Cosmore, who's coming down from Seattle yep. for CF Objective. And we are going to have, I mean, the usual experimental session from Robin Hilliard, this time about greener threats, where he's doing something with... CFML and Erlang, and it might all work fine, but it might just explode and you know <laughs> destroy the universe. We just don't know. Um, then we have Jim Letha coming from the um, from the East Coast in the US, talking about solar and cold fusion integration, and he's also doing a workshop um, yep. about solar. Which is yeah. going to be really, really interesting, I think. And you've had me rant on about how much I love solar. Um, and he's actually doing it as a solar standalone, not the inbuilt solar. So it should be really, really interesting because solar is an incredible product. Um, and yeah, it should be really cool. Yeah, I agree. Um, what else do we have? We have a session that I personally find very interesting. Um, and that's called The Ugly Truth About Frameworks, uh, presented by Dale Fraser, who's a local Melbourneian. Do you guys say Melbourneian to yourselves? No. No, nobody says <laughs> Melbourneian. Okay. <laughs> so he's from Melbourne anyway. Um, and I think that will be a quite interesting and con controversial talk because a lot of people are actually fans of frameworks and, you know, it can be or it can become quite religious, like, oh, that's the best framework or this is the best framework, blah, blah, blah. Yep. And, you know, to say the ugly truth about frameworks, that should be quite interesting, actually. Yeah, it should be really interesting. It should be. I, well, no, I think my favorite title is Refactoring Monsters into Plush Toys. <laughs> That's Gavin's session, isn't it? It's Gavin's session. Um, talking about taking taking his, his monster and monster of a curve base and turning it into, uh, into something a little bit more manageable, something a bit fluffy that he can give cuddles to and love forever. Um, Mike Brunt's doing usual sort of performance stuff. He's talking about using NGINX with, uh, with Cold Fusion. Uh, which looks pretty cool. It's, there's a lot of good stuff here, so it's going to be it's going to be a good programming conference once again, which will be good. Uh, you're doing some stuff on Clojure. Yep, and it's Clojure's with a J, so Clojure and CFML. So uh, if anyone's gone to uh, Sean's presentation or Mrs. Sean's presentation, so either they're really interested or they just happen to miss it, um, they can pop along to that. I'm doing a, a, 
a talk on closures. That's closures with an S. Right. So <laughs> Fusion 10 and Rilo 4 closures. Um, they obviously all go a little hand in hand. But uh, yeah, that, that should be some hopefully some, some good stuff for some people as well. There's, there's a bunch of agile stuff as well. This would be a, uh, a good time had by all. Yep, I agree. And we're probably getting like a, an agenda out there with time slots in the next few weeks. So, I mean, that doesn't... Soon, I think. Yeah, or even sooner, potentially. That shouldn't stop you from booking your ticket, obviously. Um, but, you know, it will be there in not too far away. Yep, and we've got uh, three workshops first day as well. We should probably make note of those. Uh, one by you as well, developing mobile web applications with jQuery Mobile. Um, yeah, and that's a full day. They're, they're yeah, all full day trainings, basically, before yep. the day before the, the actual conference. Yeah. Um, then we have Android application development with Java, and yep. it's done by Justin McLean. And he's basically going to talk about you know developing full-blown apps with Java for Android. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. And, and we've got the Apache Solar yeah. and ColdFusion integration yep. workshop that Jim is doing that we mentioned before, basically. Yeah, so those should all be really interesting. Um, yeah, if uh, I'd probably end up going to workshops, but I know the one year I actually go to a workshop means that it'll be the one year that something goes horribly, horribly wrong the day before the conference. <laughs> I already know that's going to happen, so uh, that'll be fun. But uh, yeah, no, that all sounds really good, so we've got some really good content coming up soon. Yeah, I think so too. That should be fun. Okay, well, shall we wrap things up there? Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Well, thanks to everyone for, for listening. And as per always, please leave comments in the section below. We'd love to hear back from people, and uh, especially after such a long hiatus. But uh, if people want to bug you online, where can they do that, Kai? Um, Twitter, Agent K, or Google+, Plus, just under my name. Or just send me an email, um, kai at ventigo-creative.co.nz. And I just want to mention as well that my blog is back up and running, like after month of hiatus as well and it even has a new look and feel and a new skin so it's beautiful it? oh i haven't seen Blockinblack.de. it blockinblack.de <laughs> oh have a look have a quick look it looks the same oh i suppose it does look a little different yeah okay. it looks totally different it looks doesn't fancy. look the same at all it's all fancy look at that okay and you got like layouts and categories and tags and and you go down and it makes smaller ones. And oh, look at that. It's beautiful. All fancy. Very nice. Very nice, very nice, very nice. Cool. Now that all looks good. So, how can people get hold of you, Mark? Uh, people can bug me on Twitter at neurotic because I'm just a little crazy. I just like my dog. Um, <laughs> if they want to read my articles, www.compoundtheory.com. And if you can find my email address online, which most people can, you can bug me on that as well. Otherwise, there's always contact me section on my site and you can reach me that way. Um, you can also reach me on Google Plus and a few other bits and pieces if you can find me on there as well. I'm sure people can. Cool. That's good. As always, it was a pleasure to spend 51 minutes with you. Yes, a pleasure with you. I bid you adieu. <laughs> and um, I'm sure we'll be back online quite soon. Definitely sooner than after the last episode. Cool. Alrighty, cool. Have a See good day, Mark. See you later. Bye-bye.